Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. The classic from Ella Fitzgerald, I've Got You Under My Skin. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM with me, Elliot Moss. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you know the drill because this is the place, if you don't know the drill, I'm going to tell you anyway, where you can hear the people who are shaping the world of music, specifically jazz, blues and soul, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. And my business shapers, I'm very pleased to say, is the iconic Rachel Riley. She is the founder, the owner, and the managing director, three things in one, how about that, of the fantastic, great British children's wear brand, uh, recently seen on the Royals, if you hadn't noticed, as well as other well-dressed young people around England and other parts of the world. In addition to hearing from Rachel, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And then we've got some great music from the Shapers of Jazz, Blues and Soul. Eliane Elias is in there, Eric Bibb is in there, and so is this one from Mr Marvin Gaye. Another classic, they're lining up like buses here, aren't they, on uh, Jazz Shapers. That was Mercy, Mercy Me from Marvin Gaye. I'm very pleased, as I said earlier, that Rachel Riley is my business shaper, owner, founder, managing director, three for the price of one, of the great British children's wear brand, which is called Rachel Riley, which is lucky because I have to remember that one as well. Rachel, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Do you remember when you thought you were going to run your own business and set your own thing up? And if you do, how did it come about? I started very simply. I knew that I wanted to do something and I loved making things. And um, I knew that there was a gap in the children's market when I had my own children. And I made um, things for my own children and my friends and family and people around me asked me to make things for them. It started in a very simple way. I think when I started my business, it, it really was a cottage industry. And um, probably did think that I would like to make it into something bigger but I would never have presumed that at the beginning. Now apparently you were into kind of making stuff from a very very young age and you know I've, I've got four children I always have to remember it's four but <laughs> <laughs> four I think you've got three. Yeah. Kids love making stuff but most kids then stop and the playfulness disappears. For you why did it carry on because I think you're into knitting and embroidering and sewing I and so on. Did. And so, forth. So, so so just moving back I think that one of the even though I've got a, a degree from Cambridge one of the kind of most important exams that I could have taken was my um needlework and dressmaking O level which I was only allowed to take because I insisted I was very determined that I wanted to do it because it was something which was really fun for me and it was because my sister was allowed to do art that I was allowed to do needlework and dressmaking I have to say because I was in the A stream 
um, at school they said no it's not you know it's not for children like you you have to this is beneath you <laughs> this is more you, they want they encourage more academic subjects whereas actually what I feel today very strongly about is making things is incredibly rewarding and um, satisfying and so I am very proud of being able to use my hands here in my Yes, moving my hands. She's gesticulating a lot. <laughs> and you're wearing a lovely, another one of your numbers. This is one of your... This your is one of my dresses. and dresses. Um, the ro- roses and things. Yes. Well, the, we, Are they we, roses? Yep, rose, red roses. Just and checking. we design um, our own prints. So I love the, you know, the, the, the manufacturing process of printing and then embellishment. So embroidery, hand smocking, handwork, anything which has got a craft element. And in fact, the reason why I like things which are which are, uh, have a craft element is because my favourite kind of time of children's clothes is when a lot of children's clothes were made at, at home. So between the 20s and the 60s, a lot of children's clothes were made. So they have that craft element. So things like, um, you know, embroidery on a collar or things that had um, home embellishment. Stay with me for my artisan here, my craftswoman, <laughs> um, Rachel Riley, uh, the founder of the Rachel Riley uh, Children's Wear brand. Time for some more music. This is Wes Montgomery with classic number three today, and it's tequila. Tequila from Wes Montgomery. Rachel, we were talking before about how A-stream kids aren't allowed to do the crafty things when they're in school. Um, it sounds like you wouldn't have taken no for an answer anyway, I'm guessing. But we talk, you, you mentioned Cambridge and you studied social anthropology. Social anthropology. Social, uh-huh. a- social anthropology. Um, at that point, did you have a clue what you were going to do with that degree? As useful as it would have been. Um, I knew that I wanted to, to, to have a degree and I was very pleased and and felt incredibly privileged to be to have been offered a place at Cambridge so I was very pleased to have been there by that time I was already making things so I remember making having you know lovely kind of plaid skirts with straps and whatever so that I could actually turn off for the first day with a with a with the wardrobe of things that I mostly made myself what I want to say this is that there's another bit of this, which is you became a model, and were, and is that is that right? Had you how how old I, were you I, when you started modelling? I actually started modelling after my first year at Cambridge, and that is because we had very short terms and very long holidays, yeah. so we all went off to try and get jobs and to earn money. And um, I was lucky enough to find myself with someone who um, who we we had we managed to find a flat to rent in Paris, and because someone had suggested that I could be a model, I went straight along to the modelling agency, turned up, asked if they would take me on, and they said yes. And within a couple of days, I was working for Elle and other very lovely, prestigious um, magazines. What was really interesting about that is, in the first day's work, I then um, had earned the equivalent of what I had was trying to earn for that summer so actually anything else was over and above and I bought a sewing machine and a typewriter mm. and other things I, I was I was still a student but when I went back to university in, in, in October the modelling agency had said to me they didn't think it was a good idea to go back because actually had you know it was going really well and I could be you know a, a model and there was longevity in that I knew I wanted to get my degree so I went back to university did my second year and then in the between the second and third years I went to Tokyo for three months and worked as a model there 
that what was great about the agency then um, is that they would guarantee you a certain amount of money so that you knew that you were financially secure to um, to, to work over over the summer. And what I understood from having spent that summer in Paris and then the next summer in Tokyo is that having a bird's eye view of the fashion industry and actually seeing what the fashion industry was like. And I think that, you know, at the time I didn't realise it, but as a model, you the door is open for you to be able to see what, how fashion houses work. So that was really interesting. Mm. Uh, and beyond the, the seeing what, for how fashion houses work, I imagine, again, you, you, you were at Cambridge. You had obviously, you were in the A stream, as you said. I imagine it wasn't as stimulating as some of the thinking you were having to do at university during the year. And it hasn't been a stim... Well, I, you've gone into business. You've gone and done that. That's not to say there aren't lots of smart models. But for you, was it just about the money? Or was it because of the fact that there was this insight into the fashion world? Um, I think it was probably both. I think it was, you know, I was a student and so we needed the money. So, And I felt lucky enough to have been able to earn money in an industry where actually I really enjoyed the whole fashion side of things. And I still do. I think that the whole, um, I, it's something that is of interest to me. Remember that when I when I, when I I graduated, the choice was to, you know, having studied social anthropology, I could have gone to work as you know in, in the Museum of Mankind or, or or found something else in a, you know in that area I'd already started within the fashion industry so that was actually what I was excited about going t- towards and when I left university I actually took a year off to go and work in Paris as a model and again just to spend a, um, in fact the next few years really seeing again as an insider in the fashion industry. So there's the message. You've basically got to work out how you become a model if you want to work in the fashion world in the future because it's a really good way of earning money and getting lots and lots of tips, which has obviously helped Rachel as she's developed her own business. Much more coming up from her. Um, that's going to be after the latest traffic and travel. But first and before that is, I hope, a set of words which will be wise for you and your business from our programme partners at Mishkon Durea. My name's Sharon Tan. I'm a partner in the employment team at Mishcon Dorea. At Mishcon, we advise all sorts of clients. Um, one minute we will be advising a global corporation, the next it will be a senior executive, and the next it will be an entrepreneur who's just starting out in business for the very first time with the latest new idea. But one thing that's common to all of those businesses, big and small, is social media. We live in a digital age. And obviously that brings some very significant benefits and advantages from a business perspective, but it also brings with it significant risks, particularly when you introduce the unpredictable factor into the equation, which is, of course, human nature and sometimes human error. So employees of all levels these days have a presence on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, to name but a few. And um, whenever they post on social media, they're obviously representing themselves personally. But in certain situations, they're also representing the employer, whether they mean to or not. And in those circumstances, there is the potential for significant damage to be caused to the business, irrespective of the size of the business, if the employee happens to say something that causes reputational damage. And so really a good piece of advice for all businesses, irrespective of size, is to make sure that the employment contracts are properly drafted, that the social media policy is in place, and that all of those things have been clearly communicated to the employees, so that everybody knows in advance where the line's drawn and what the sanctions are if somebody happens to cross the line. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
You're listening to Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM with me, Elliot Moss. If you've missed any of the previous 200 or so programmes, I can't believe we've done that many, but I think we have, then iTunes is your destination. Rachel Riley is my business shaper today, I'm very pleased to say, um, and she was talking earlier about being a model and earning money, but much more than that, getting an insight into the world that she really wanted to be in, which was the fashion world. So, so I've got this sense of this very highly intelligent person, this person who managed to go... I'm a model and I'm wanted, which is wonderful. But then beyond that, you obviously had started playing with the notion of of your own business. I think you set up your own business in 94. Is that right? Is that, it was over, over uh, 20 years it was, ago. It was 20 years ago but, and it started in a very gradual way. So yeah. I actually opened my first shop in 1998, but I started doing, it was before stuff. the, I started doing stuff and making it for people and, um, and very quickly, it, my husband's a photographer. So what we did is once... I, I, I started off knowing that I was wanting to make things. People were asking me for things. I, I had three children and made things for them. So it was kind of a weak way of, you know, as it were, advertising on, on them. People would see things and ask me for them. When I set up my own business, I decided to run it, you know, obviously as a business and um, to do it with a mail order catalogue. So Daniel and I took the photos together. We printed it up into a small um catalogue then obviously not really called that anymore but um, a place where you can buy stuff now whether it's online or offline I <laughs> yeah. think that you can, it doesn't we really also matter. call it a lookbook but um, at yeah. the time it was called a catalogue and we printed that out made it look beautiful and actually sent it out to all our friends and family colleagues people who I knew they sent it out to their friends and within one season I knew that we had a business because of the demand well this is what I want to ask you because I remember interviewing Bill Amberg um, here um, and Joe Malone and both of them talked about they kind of knew they had something because people liked the stuff that they made for their friends and family. Mm-hmm. If they hadn't liked it and they were just wrong, because some people get it wrong like that, mm-hmm. would you have carried on, do you think? Or did you need that that approval from friends and family and that, that real, you know, the, the creation of demand? Well, if you don't have a demand, you don't have a business. So I needed to... I, I wouldn't have carried on. I would have carried on doing it personally if I hadn't had a business for it. But as it was, I wanted to run it as a business. And um, within a very short space of time, we had a lot of press. And that was very helpful because that made us, it, it created the demand. In terms of the kids, I don't know how, how old they're, are my, they're all they're very, they're young adults, 25, 25? 26, 25 and 23, yes. Well, okay. You don't look old enough, I have to say, that, <laughs> but you, you don't. I mean, that's ridiculous. You've got, you got 20-year-old plus kids. Um, in the early days, I imagine you worked around the children and being a mum. And is that why the business took a little more time to progress than maybe someone like a man would have, would have taken? Very definitely, because I think that women run their businesses in the way that suits them. I know that I've grown my business very gradually mm. and um, in the right way that suits me and my business. Of course, for the first, whatever, um, 15 years, maybe, or probably not even that but for I would work around the children. And um, I remember even when I started running my business, Wednesdays I didn't work because my children were in school in France and on a Wednesday they don't go to school. So we would do, you know, music class, art class, ballet and um, fencing. And, I don't know and things was. that just make me go, you're the perfect mum as well. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Stay with me for more from Rachel Riley. Business woman and mum too, fantastic mum too. Both are possible, though probably having to balance one has uh, a primacy over the other at certain points in time. It sounds like that anyway. Time for some more music. This is Eliane Elias with That Old Feeling.
That was Eliane Elias with That Old Feeling. Rachel, um, this business, as you had, as the children got older, you were able to switch your focus a bit more towards the business. Obviously, uh, and if people don't know, the, the latest hit has been with, uh, with many people, a member of the royal family, and it was I think it was Prince George uh, was mm. wearing your stuff. When those things happen, mm. are they enormous moments, or were there bigger moments before, and it's just that that's the culmination of all the other things that you were doing? I mean, how does it the, work for you? Obviously, they're very big moments just because of the press um response um you know we've i feel very proud of the fact that prince george has worn our things on several occasions um i think probably the first official engagement was the most well they've all been exciting but that was the most unexpected because just to see the whole international um coverage he is a high profile Baby, and <laughs> I, I, I think he'd never been on the you know cover of Vanity Fair and yeah. wearing our things. It was just so lovely. He was on the GQ um, 50 Best Dressed Men list, and I think they'd never had a baby. I'm still so waiting for that best- call, by the way. I'm, <laughs> maybe I need to come to you. It hasn't happened. So, but- so seeing the press is extraordinary. It is. It, it it's 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 interesting to see. In terms of satisfaction levels for you, though, what buzzes you now? You're, you know, you're in your second decade of your your business. I imagine that's a buzz. But is that the biggest buzz, or are there other things that um, make you happy? Still? I will. I just. Um, it's important to say that actually I get a buzz whenever I see children wearing our clothes. And if I'm, you know, walking down the street and I see someone wearing something of ours, or the other day I walked into Selfridges and someone was walking out, um, and we crossed, and she was wearing one of our dresses, or if I have, I can bring pleasure to one of the mums who might come into our shop and just say you know let me show you a picture of my daughter she just looks so gorgeous in your things it is always a personal satisfaction and the other quick bit of personal satisfaction um is it that is it the making bit is it the bit where you go hold on a minute that's what the print's going to look like that's the texture that's the design i mean what is there is in the creative process is there still huge a lot of satisfaction and in fact obviously that's i'm a maker so i I would say you know, my favourite day has to be a design day. But actually, remember, I only spend maybe a month out of every six months designing a collection and the other five months are running a business, which I also get excited about. You know, you have to make sure that you, you know, we're planning budgets and, you know, we um, nearly half of our business is in the US. You know, I go to America. We have a showroom there. We sell to um Bergdorf Goodman and, and, and Sachs and other department stores there. It's not just about the design side. That's obviously important and you have to have the right product, but it's also about running a business on a day-to-day business. She looks young because she's just really happy, basically, <laughs> and everything excites her, which is, what, is what's coming through. Final chat coming up with Rachel, plus we'll be playing a track from Eric Bibb. That's after the latest Traffic and Travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Walking side by side Hand in hand She said she's so happy That was Eric Bibb and North Country Far with Danny Thompson and the, the tune, the song was called The Happiest Man in the World. I'm with one of the happiest women in the world, coincidentally. That's lucky, isn't it? And that's Rachel Riley, just for a few more minutes. 
you've really grown this successful and iconic business as you said half almost half your business is in the US I think you're sold in 90 countries or something crazy well, actually but, 110 stockists but in over several countries but about 40% of our business is in the US okay um in that time, you must have encountered bumps along the way. You said you've loved things and you, you know, you're enjoying all of the bits. I imagine you've had help, ad- advice. Who have been the people that have been key to you in that period? I, I said that I loved what I do, but I haven't say that there, isn't, there haven't been bumps along the road. There are always things that you have to overcome. And um, I've been very lucky to work with um, a business advisor who I respect um, greatly and who has got an enormous amount of um, experience in the in the field. Um, uh, his name's Manny Silverman, and I'm very um, lucky to have been working with him for the last seven years. So he's really helped me focus not just on the, you know, uh, on the design side and the product side, but also the strategy. And he is as sharp-minded as I'm, anyone I know. So I was always the key? very focused. Is that the key? The, the intellect, or is there something else? Because chemistry must be really important in this. Um, or is it that chem- the content of what he's got is just is good enough and everything else goes away anyway? Well, chemistry is is important in everything, so um, in 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 life. But he is very focused and he has got lots of experience, and it is very. I'm very lucky to be able to use that experience within our within my business. And in terms of um, the international expansion, was that intentional? Um, it is. It is definitely. I don't mean to say that you didn't have a strategy, but you know, yes. people things evolve, don't they? And then, well, also you have to go to the markets where people like what you do, so that helps. Um, the in America, I feel that they're quite formal for certain things, so they do like um, dressing up, and we do a lot of occasion wear, so they come to us for the for for, for that. Um, there's definitely a strategy behind it, and um, even now we have a strategy. We know what you know. I know wh- which areas I want to go in, and that's important for me. You can't just kind of float around and just say, you know, I'll mm. pick up where the wind blows, you know, which in the direction that wind blows me in. I mean, look, we're, we're part of an amazing country, and things have changed in the last few weeks. You're exporting the great British brand, which mm-hmm. happens to be clothes in your thing. W- what is it that works for you? Is it do people put, look at your clothes and go, ah, that reminds me of a period of time in Britain? I think that um, obviously in in Britain we are creative, so that's important. And also, I think that what people come to me for is those kind of traditional family values, whereby the clothes that I make are classic. They are. Um, it's about the children. It's about the children. I mean, all children are beautiful. So um, it's having very you know simple, pretty things. Often people say that they come to me for, for clothes that they can photograph their children in because then it means that our kind of styles don't go out of fashion. It's not specific for an era. It is just, you know, making children look beautiful, which is important for me. Going forward, next five, ten years, Rachel Riley's vision is just continue more of the same. Beautiful clothes for beautiful kids. Um, we have um, just taken on agents in the UK, so I'd like to expand our base in the UK. And international expansion is important because I feel that we've got a product um, that people like and that I can export, so that's important for me. There's some really good luck. Um, you're, you're a trailblazer in taking this, this great British clothes uh, brand that you've created abroad, and, and please keep doing it, and you look lovely as well. So if you, if you see the pictures that we'll put up on the web, you'll also see this fantastic dress that you're in. It's called a dress. I always get confused with dress and skirts. I know now. Dress. Tops with dress, yes. definitely. Good. <laughs> Just before I let you go, uh, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, I've chosen Knock on Wood um, by Eddie Floyd. Um, it's the 1967 version. I like classic and vintage pieces, so I wanted to make take something from that era. And um, I also feel ex- exceptionally lucky to be able to do what I do every day. 
Here it is just for you, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you. was Eddie Floyd with Knock On Wood, the song choice of my business shaper today, Rachel Riley, someone who's always enjoyed making things and has stuck at it because it just gives her so much pleasure. Someone who has done a fantastic job of combining being a mum with also growing a business and someone who today enjoys all the aspects of the business, probably because she just absolutely loves that product and the output and the happiness that it gives the kids that wear her clothes and their parents. It's all great stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am sharp here on Jazz FM for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Meantime, though, stay with us because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.